the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. January 27th, 2021. Today is Holocaust Remembrance Day, and you'll hear invocations of the phrase never again a lot. The phrase is meaningless. The point behind it rendered moot by decades of cold shoulders and deaf ears to mass slaughter and imprisonment and violations of human rights where people have been targeted for their race, religion, ethnicity, and even thought or wrong think. For years, to take but one example, we have spoken of the disappearance of people in the Shenzhen province in China, where corporations like Nike have done business, have profited off slave labor, have spent millions of dollars lobbying against sanctions in Washington, D.C., and have employed people like Colin Kaepernick to speak, not against China's slave camps and current existence, but America's or a part of America's slavery that ended 155 years ago because more Americans, led by Abraham Lincoln in their early and meaningful way, rose up to say in their own way, never again. And so it never happened again in America, not that way, but it happens a lot in the rest of the world. It happened in Cambodia, it's happened in the Soviet Union, it's happened in the Sudan, it's happened in Iraq, it's happening in China. Here's the New York Times from November, two months ago. Nike and Coca-Cola are, quote, Nike and Coca-Cola are among the major companies and business groups lobbying Congress to weaken a bill that would ban imported goods made with forced labor in China's Xinjiang region, according to congressional staff members and other people familiar with the matter, as well as lobbying records that show vast spending on the legislation, close quote. You see, as the story goes on to report, quote, human rights groups and news reports have linked many multinational companies to suppliers there, documenting Uyghur workers in a factory in Qingdao that makes Nike shoes, close quote. Qingdao is in the Xinjiang province, the heart of darkness in China, where Uyghurs are disappeared and forced into slavery, not 150 years ago, now, and for years. In a report, report published uh, just l last year out of Australia, a report titled Uyghurs for Sale, the opening states, quote, <clears throat> the Chinese government has facilitated the mass transfer of Uyghur and other ethnic minority citizens from the far west region of Xinjiang to factories across the country, close quote. Port goes on to say, quote, since 2017, more than one million Uyghurs and members of other Turkic Muslim minorities have disappeared into a vast network of re-education camps in the far west region of Xinjiang and what some experts call a systematic, remember that word, systematic government-led program of cultural genocide. Inside the camps, detainees are subjected to political indoctrination, forced to renounce their religion and culture, and reportedly subjected to torture. In the name of combating religious extremism, Chinese authorities have been acting, actively remolding the Muslim population in the image of China's Han ethnic majority, close quote. Here's another quote. China is not our enemy. Come on, folks. They're not bad folks, close quote. That's Joe Biden. 
and you think never again means something, means something meaningful? Doesn't. Slave labor, persecution, forced indoctrination, and conversion. Makes me think, you know who would give their eye teeth to be able to go to a football game in America and stand for the national anthem? These slave laborers in China who Kaepernick and Nike profit off of and try to sell us on and lecture us about how bad America is because part of it had slavery that ended 155 years ago. You see, it turns out the dictatorship of the proletariat is very rewarding to the actual dictators and profiteers of the revolution. Now, understandably, China does not have a 13th Amendment or a 14th Amendment or a First Amendment protecting speech and religious freedom or a Declaration of Independence that speaks of natural and human rights of freedom and equality. A Declaration of Independence Abraham Lincoln spoke of saying, quote, the assertion that all men are created equal was of no practical use in effecting our separation from Great Britain. And it was placed in the Declaration not for that, but for future use. Its authors meant it to be, and thank God it is, now proving itself a stumbling block to those who in after times might seek to turn a free people back into the hateful paths of despotism. They knew the proneness of prosperity to breed tyrants, and they meant when such should reappear in this fair land and commence their vocation, they should find left for them at least one hard nut to crack, close quote. The tendency of prosperity to breed tyrants. Does $126 million sound like prosperous to you? That's the deal Colin Kaepernick inked and received from from Nike to A, defend and promote Nike, and B, condemn and contemn America. So while China may not have what we have, it may be worth asking how much we honor and esteem what we have. They don't have a First Amendment or Declaration of Independence, as I said, things, if honored, that truly would spell the phrase never again into reality. But they do have a constitution in China. Yes, they do. Here's Article 1. Quote, the People's Republic of China is a socialist state governed by a people's democratic dictatorship that is led by the working class and based on an alliance of workers and peasants. The socialist system is the fundamental system of the People's Republic of China. Leadership by the Communist Party of China is the defining feature of socialism with Chinese characteristics. It is prohibited for any organization or individual to damage this socialist system, close quote. It also has a preamble, a very long one, but in it you'll find this, quote, the People's Democratic Dictatorship, led by the working class and based on an alliance of workers and peasants, which in essence is a dictatorship of the proletariat, has been consolidated and developed Close quote. So when you contrast our First Amendment, free speech, freedom of religion, and our Declaration of Independence, equality and liberty, with what China has, a guaranteed socialist state with the Communist Party as the defining feature of its socialist system, it troubles but has to be asked, what do we defer to here in America more just now? What do we practice and honor and elevate in America more. The great moral philosopher Hadley Arcus writes about his experience at the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. He writes, quote, As we walked through the museum, we took a turn, suddenly coming upon a scene encountered by many other visitors to the museum, a vast vat filled with shoes. 
They were the shoes of the victims, collected by the Nazis as they sought to extract anything they could use again or sell. And what came flashing back instantly at that moment when I saw the shoes were the searing lines of Justice John McLean and his dissenting opinion in the Dred Scott case. Quote, you may think that the black man is merely chattel, but he bears the impress of his maker and is amenable to the laws of God and man, and he is destined to an endless existence. Close quote. He has, in other words, a soul which is imperishable. It will not decompose when his material existence comes to an end. The, the sufficient measure of things here is that the Nazis looked at their victims and thought the shoes were the real durables. Liberals are people of large natures with sensitivities cultivated to the most exacting liberal, liberal temper, Arcus writes, and so they are prepared to engage their sympathies for all species of hurts suffered by the mass of mankind. When the conversation turns, say, to a homeless man in the gutter, they are quick to insist that there is about that man, even in his diminished state, an irreducible human dignity. There is still about his life a certain sanctity that commands our concern. And we ask, sanctity? Do they mean of the sacred? Does that not rather point to, well, you know who? We find ourselves in a curious situation in which so much of our language of politics and law is rooted in layers of moral understanding and religious persuasion, which have departed from the recognition of most of our people. My colleagues speak firmly of rights or injuries done to persons. They seem serenely unaware that their language here is grounded in understandings that they have professed at least to have rejected years ago. Even these academics would have to concede that they cannot possibly give the same account of the wrong of slavery or the wrong of the Holocaust that McLean was in a position to give. Some of these homeless characters living in the streets might have broken their own lives and the victims of racism might be reduced and abased, and yet McLean could through it all and see beings who were made in the image of something higher. The modern liberal will proclaim his social sympathy and strike a militant posture in defense of rights, but he can no longer explain why that biped who conjugates verbs should be the bearer of rights. Thus we come yesterday to Domestic policy advisor Susan Rice, who said this from the White House, close, uh, quote, The president has committed the whole of our government to advancing racial justice and equity for all Americans. I'm leading this effort out of the Domestic Policy Council. I've assembled a first-rate team to drive this agenda forward. We'll hold the federal government accountable for advancing equity for families across America. I have the support of every White House office and every agency in this work because, as President Biden has made clear, advancing equity is everybody's job. After talking about her own story as a racial minority, she then said, quote, but for too many American families, systemic racism and inequality in our economy, laws and institutions still put the American dream far out of reach. These are desperate times for so many Americans, and all Americans need urgent federal action to meet this moment, close quote. And so we have, as Hadley put it, the modern liberal who can strike a militant posture in defense of her own rights and successes, not able to explain why she has been granted, conveyed, afforded, or been the beneficiary of them. It is because, and precisely because, she, like Oprah Winfrey, like Colin Kaepernick, 
like so many other Americans, including me, have been seen by others to bear the impress of our Maker and so be amenable to the laws of God and man and destined to an endless, endless existence. We have, in other words, a soul which is imperishable. It will not decompose when our material existence comes to an end. We were seen as, are seen as, human beings. Nothing but human beings entitled to the same rights as nothing but other human beings. The sufficient measure of things here is that the Nazis looked at their victims and thought that the shoes were the real durables. Remember that. Today, too many look at Americans and think that their race or a race, or race, is the durable. If it is, we have systemic problems. Problems those who see race as durable keep reifying and impressing on us. To we who do not see skin color as the durables, but the human nature of our fellow citizens as the durable, we do not see a systemic problem. We see a systemic beauty. Let us continue to nurture that so we can truly someday live up to what has turned out indeed to be a great lie, the invocation of the phrase never again. To perpetuate the need to keep saying never again, just keep judging people not by their human nature but by things like their race. After all, that was the hallmark of the book Mein Kampf and the regime we fought that gave us the need to say never again in the first place. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. Uh, got some great guests coming up, um, including uh, a story, a cancel culture story, where uh, Facebook is not running ads on a Lincoln book, our friend John Cribb's Lincoln book. Uh, he'll be, John Cribb will be with us. He wrote a piece about it over at Real Clear Politics. Um, it, this is an amazing thing, I got to tell you, an amazing thing that's going on with um, with the cancel culture, with the renaming of uh, – you saw what happened in San Francisco? Did you see what happened in San Francisco? Byron York has the story probably the best. Remember they were going to rename a school – Abraham Abraham Lincoln High School member because Abraham Lincoln didn't um, didn't do anything for Black Lives Matter. Remember that? Remember that? That was the actual statement. Well, it's not just Lincoln. The latest enactment of the revolution devouring everything before it took place last night in a Zoom meeting of the San Francisco School Board, where members voted to strip the names, not just of Abraham Lincoln, but George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and even Dianne Feinstein from schools in San Francisco. The San Francisco Board created a School Names Advisory Committee. That's what it's called, School Names Advisory Committee, because George Orwell, right? Two years ago. And members passed a resolution committing the board to, quote, changing the names of schools named for historical figures who engaged in the subjugation and enslavement of human beings or who oppressed women, inhibiting societal progress 
or whose actions led to genocide or who otherwise significantly diminished the opportunities of those amongst us to the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, when you think of people who have, quote, engaged in subjugation or the enslavement of human beings, of course you naturally think of Abraham Lincoln and Dianne Feinstein, don't you? That's how crazy this stuff has gotten. Diminishing the opportunities of anybody else is a catch-all that could basically allow the school board to go after virtually anyone it chose. And indeed, on Tuesday night, the board voted to change 44 school names. Yeah, Lincoln, Jefferson, Feinstein, there were more. Herbert Hoover, what did he ever do? Beer, James Garfield... William McKinley, Daniel Webster, Robert Louis Stevenson, Junipero Serra, a Spanish priest, William Cullen Bryant, Francisco de Ula, Spanish explorer, Adolf Sutro, a San Francisco mayor and philanthropist, and more. Also, <laughs> they changed the name of Roosevelt Middle, Roosevelt Middle School. Even though someone asked if it was named after Theodore or Franklin and they weren't sure, better to be safe than sorry. Just get rid of the Roosevelt altogether. What about Senator Feinstein? Do you know why they would take Senator Feinstein's name off? Well, she was the mayor of San Francisco from 1978 to 1988. And in 1984, evidently, a socialist activist tore down a Confederate flag that was flying in the Pavilion of American Flags exhibit in San Francisco. I guess there were something like 18 flags. One of them was Confederate. And um, Diane Feinstein, as the mayor, ordered that it be replaced with another one. This is 1984, so over 35 years ago. They tore down the flag again the next day after it was put back up. And she apologized and didn't replace it. But she has never been forgiven for that, evidently. Action in 1984. And evidently didn't apologize sufficiently. This is really quite an amazing thing. The mayor of San Francisco, who um, is a female... She may be the only sane one in the city. She may be. I'll tell you what she tweeted. What I cannot understand is why the school board is advancing a plan to have all these schools renamed by April when there isn't a plan to have our kids back in the classroom by then. Our students are suffering and we should be talking about getting them in the classrooms, getting them mental health support and getting them the resources they need in this challenging time. Our families are frustrated about a lack of a plan and they're especially frustrated with the fact that the discussion of these plans weren't even on the agenda for last night's school board meeting. I believe our children should be part of this conversation about schools and I believe education and discussion needs to happen within our school walls. Let's bring the same urgency and focus on getting our kids back in the classroom, and then we can have that longer conversation about school names. Amen to that. Boy, if adults would be adults, we wouldn't have youth problems.
Well, if it's 34 after the hour, it is our culture and economy update time with John Dombrowski from Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. I've been looking forward to this all day, I have to tell you. John, how are you, sir? <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you, Seth. I have so many questions about this story oh, no. that I am being inundated with. Mm-hmm. GameStop. Yes. What the heck happened here? Well, um, it's hard to figure out. Yeah, it seems like there's a little bit of uh, cat and mouse going on yeah. here between traders. Yeah. Right? Uh, this happened a while back, too, with Tesla. Right. I don't know if you remember. There were a and lot Tesla's of sh- involved in this, evidently. Well, Elon Musk just basically uh, made a comment. Yeah, he yeah. made a comment about it because he was in a similar position where there are a lot of traders out there who are shorting the stock, basically trying to drive the price of the stock down so that they could make money on an opposite side of a trade, right? Mm-hmm. And now you've got uh, some of these... Uh, Individuals out there who are getting together using social media trying to battle this uh, and trying to uh, be on the other side of the trade and forcing uh, these short sellers to have to cover their positions by buying the stock. So if the stock price is going up and there's a, they're getting squeezed out of that short position, they have to either cover that position or they've got to they've got to sell it or some some type of an option because it's it's basically a, they're shorting a stock that they don't own. Mm-hmm. So they would have to own the stock or they have to create some other way that they can uh, pay for that option of sh- selling it short. Uh-huh. So uh, there's a real squeeze going on here for these short sellers, and they're getting hurt really badly. But what's happening is the price of the stock is going up. And uh, for no real, uh, I for guess, no real good reason, fundamental yeah, reason. Yeah, yeah. So it goes from seventeen twenty-five a share to three hundred and fifteen yeah, a up share, seventeen hundred percent. for this month alone. Yeah, yeah. I Over the last few days, couple even. of weeks. Yeah. Right. It's just it's it's on it's, because people are playing this yeah. short game yeah. on social media. Yeah, it's really an unrealistic type of a. Now scenario. you advise people not to play that game. Stay away. What does it mean to short and an option? So you're basically uh, betting that the stock is going to go down in price, and you don't have to own it to do that, right? You you could you could you could have a not own it. That's correct. Yeah. You're basically naked. They would call it, or uh, you know, you you don't have that position covered. Right. That's the phrase. Right. right. So uh, it's happening out there with this stock, with AMC, the movie uh, um, company, yeah. as well. Yeah. And it's happened in the past. And maybe BlackBerry, too, I'm reading. Yeah, and the SEC is is looking into this to make sure that there's no uh, violations that are occurring here, no manipulation of the stock. These are things that – that's what the SEC is out there to provide – uh, protection to consumers. So if someone does so, it's buy creating this, an artificial interest yeah, oh, in demand and price. Yes, absolutely. or value of a company. Yes, and you and know you can get really burned. I'm I'm guessing. Uh, yeah, and you have to be careful out there, Seth, because there are some people out there that may own this stock in some type of a fund. Oh right, and it's very uh, conceivable. Right, that, right, 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 right. Don't so even you're creating it. victims here. Yeah, you, could, you, yeah, you don't even realize yeah. that you may own this stock. If you've got a game gaming fund that right. owns a variety of different companies, you may look and go, my stocks are doing great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's all because of this particular uh, stock right now uh, that is up so much that uh, you may see an effect in your actual portfolio. But in reality, I would not be surprised, Seth, if in the very, very near future – 
that this stock comes crashing down. Well, I imagine it would be since there's no fundamental that inflated exactly. it by, what did you say, 1,700% mm-hmm. or something? Yeah. <laughs> now, now, you don't have to own to have the option of going short, right? Correct. You're buying an but option. But can you still lose money playing oh, that gosh. game? Oh, gosh. It's yes. an unlimited amount of loss. It's a bet. Have. It's a yeah. bet. Okay. But you don't know what the loss could be because oh. you don't own the stock. So I if you've got to cover that, that bet... Uh, you don't know how much potential uh, loss there could be. So it's all pretty high risk. Right. So let's assume I own a stock yeah. and I paid $50 for the stock and now I'm going to sell uh, options on it that it's going to drop in value. Okay. Yeah. If I need to cover that because someone's buying that is demanding they want the shares for that price that I'm saying that I'm going to be shorting it to, yeah. I have the stock in hand to be able to sell it to them. So oh, I'm covered. Okay. But if I don't own it and that stock goes to 300 and my put was for 40 I've got to buy that stock to cover that $40, that, I got that share. I but got I've got to pay 300 to do it. So I, it's you don't know the amount of potential risk you have. It's, not, un, it's unlimited. They're not Okay. I'm with you now. You explained it well, John. This yeah. is a good, good advice, something to stay away from. By the way, this is not something I would be recommending I was to just going to say, yeah, this is what you would recommend against. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So, again, if people do want information about this or to talk about what they can be doing, uh, to build a good portfolio, that's what I do. Securities Advisory Services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of Finn Recipic and an investment advisor, Grand King and Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. And you do it really well, John. I have so many well, friends who like you, working with you so thank much. You and so I love much. working with you, too. You know that. Thank you, sir. God bless you, John. Don't God bless you. you. Talk to you. Bye. President Biden gave voice to a word we're going to become very, very familiar with for the next, uh, well, at least uh, four years, probably. I noticed that it was getting used at the White House when Jen Psaki gave her first press conference last week, talking about how everything we do, she was talking about COVID, she said everything we do is going to have equity as its basis. Equity. It's not a word you use or hear much. Get ready to hear more about it. Joe Biden yesterday gave remarks on his executive orders on, quote, racial equity, equity, equity. We've had a call or two on it before because it has started to seep up about a year ago, this phrase equity. Most of us say equality. And in fact, Joe Biden slipped the tongue yesterday when he almost said equality, when he meant to say equity. What is equity? Greg Gutfeld, we go to. He did a really good explanation of it, and uh, I credit him with this. Go ahead. Yesterday, President Biden signed four executive actions based on racial equity, focusing on systemic racism in private prisons, housing, COVID relief, and tribal relations. Apparently, systemic racism is like oxygen. It's everywhere you look. And the solution is equity, not equality, equity. Even Joe's using the word. Does he know what it means? Who knows? Equality, as you know, means you have the opportunity to try something even if you're bad at it. I can try to play basketball. I will suck. But in America, I have an opportunity to try. Just like I have the opportunity to become an electrical engineer, a pipe fitter, or a Peloton instructor. I would suck at those too, but it's against the law to discriminate against me. It's about equality of opportunity, not equality of outcome, which is what equity promises. 
equality of outcome, a reserved space based on the single variable of systemic discrimination. Your equity becomes an entitlement. So even though I suck at basketball, there should be a place for me in the NBA. Equity not only ignores competence, it reduces the diversity of talent that comes from opportunity, as well as ignoring how people choose different things. Shall we create female quotas for loggers and roofers and garbage collectors and other male-dominated jobs, even if women don't want them? You know, workplace death for men is 10 times higher than women. Do activists seek equity there, or is it just the cush jobs thereafter? And, of course, with equity, you, need, you will need someone to decide who gets what. And that's what this is really about. Power. The power to remake society, to placate the critical race theorist who works with only one variable. Revenge. It's about the furthest you can get from unity. Not that Joe would know or care. Thank you, Greg. Yeah, get used to seeing that word equity a lot now. Um, and as this administration goes forward with it, Joe Biden yesterday said we have never fully lived up to the founding principles of this nation to state the obvious that all people are created equal and have a right to be treated equally throughout their lives. And it's time to act now, not only because it's the right thing to do, because, but because if we do, we'll all be better off for it. For too long, he continued, we've allowed a narrow, cramped view of the promise of this nation to fester. You know, we've bought into the view that America is a zero-sum game, that if you succeed, I fail. If you get ahead, I fall behind. If you get the job, I lose mine. Maybe worst of all, he says, if I hold you down, I lift myself up. Do you know anyone who holds that philosophy? I, I, I have, I, I've lived in two, three, four, five different states for substantial periods of my life, some of them majority-minority cities, where, that is to say where a, min a racial minority was actually the majority uh, inhabitant of that city. I've never heard anyone hold the view, if you get ahead, I fall behind. If you succeed, I fail. I've never heard it. I don't know what he's talking about. We have never fully lived up to the founding principles of this nation to state the obvious. Is that obvious that we have not? What is the goalpost? To go back to the question Larry Elder was asking on this show Friday. How do we know when we have fully lived up to the founding principle of this nation? Remember, Larry quoted Barack Obama in 2007 saying if we could perhaps see a minority as a president, and we did that twice with states that are 99% white, like Iowa, voting for him, twice against the whitest of candidates, the most traditional of candidates, people with names, heroic names like McCain or famous political names like Romney, and they go with Barack Obama. When is that goal met? Well, that's where equity comes in. That's where equity comes in. So where the Supreme Court jurisprudence in the, pa jurisprudence in the past has struck down deliberate use of racial quotas in education, admissions, hiring, promotions, be prepared now to see in the name of equity an entire new effort from the Department of Justice doing 
just that, engaging in just those kinds of legal civil rights suits and efforts. There's a position at the Department of Justice known as the Assistant Attorney General for Civil Rights. This tends to be that person's purview. They're the ones that wage the efforts under the 14th Amendment to either have colorblind policies or racial quota type policies, depending on the administration, whether it's a Republican administration or a Democratic Party administration. The Supreme Court has been rather consistent in striking down outward racial quotas, that is to say discrimination against one race in favor of another, usually against whites or Jews or Asians in favor of Hispanic Americans or African Americans, or now, as Joe Biden says, Pacific Islanders. He signed an executive order on behalf of Pacific Islanders because evidently there's a lot of discrimination against Pacific Islanders in this country. I don't know where. But in any event, I want to be sensitive to it and tell you about what the Biden administration is doing at the position of Assistant Attorney General for Civil Rights. You won't believe who they've nominated for that position. I'll tell you when we come back, and we'll be right back. Kristen Clark is the nominee for the position, crucial position of Assistant Attorney General for Civil Rights to enforce equity across the country from the Department of Justice. And as... um, our good friend uh, Jonathan Tobin writes, uh, she comes with kind of history that if uh, Donald Trump had appointed her, she'd already be renouncing her nomination herself. As head of the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law and previously a staffer for New York's Attorney General, she's a leading left-wing attorney as an African-American woman. She also punches the ticket for Biden's diversity goals and fills a top post with an ally of the Black Lives Matter movement. But there's more to her. While at Harvard, as an undergrad, she argued in the student newspaper that blacks had greater, quote, mental, physical, and spiritual ability, close quote, than whites because of the amount of melanin in their skin. This is the kind of racist theory advocated by people like Louis Farrakhan. As president of the Harvard Black Students Association, she invited author Tony Martin to speak on campus despite his rabid anti-Semitism and, interesting on a day like today, Holocaust denial. She then defended him as, quote, a black intellectual who bases his information on indisputable fact, close quote. Yeah, that was a long time ago, college, and perhaps we don't draw veil over We should draw a veil over all college antics, but ask yourself what the reaction would have been if Donald Trump had nominated someone to be the country's top civil rights watchdog who had advocated racial superiority and defended anti-Semitism and Holocaust denial in college. You know exactly what would happen. You know what happened when people made up lies about someone in high school to sit on the Supreme Court. But you know what? College isn't the only time she's spoken out on these things. Her soft spot for anti-Semitism is of recent vintage. Only two years ago, she signed a letter defending Tamika Mallory. Do you know that name? She was one of the co-founders of the Women's March that the board forced to resign because of her defending Louis Farrakhan. 
rather than apologize for supporting Tamika Mallory, for supporting Louis Farrakhan, Clark said she'd do it again because, quote, it was more important to show solidarity with a fellow woman of color than take a stand against hate, close quote. Okay, new rules. And now we know what they are. Standing up for people of the same skin color as you is more important than taking a stand against hate. Those are the words of the nominee for the Assistant Secretary of Civil Rights. Assistant Assistant Attorney General for Civil Rights in the Joe Biden administration. Good to know. People will do what people do.